Mac Power Users, Episode 54, Question and Answer Time. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. How are you, David? Fantastic, Katie. Looking forward to talking about some Mac stuff. How about yourself? I'm excited. I've got my Mac Power Users coffee mug in one hand and uh, got uh, Google Docs open in another, and I'm, I'm ready to tackle some listeners' questions. You know, this is a show that we don't do very often. This is the only second Q&A show that we've done, but we get so much feedback doing this show, and we get a lot of good questions from from our listeners that that really could be little mini shows in amongst themselves, but don't really lend themselves to doing a full show. So every now and then we, we try to catch up with some of those because I, I think a lot of the listeners could benefit from our questions. Yeah. So we're going to tackle some of the bigger questions in this episode. And uh, as always, we've got some great questions from the listeners we've been accumulating. So let's get started. Well, and I want to just uh, say to our listeners, especially some of those who email us and say, sometimes I don't listen to the very end, listen to the very end. We do, we do have a, some exciting news coming. So listen all the way through. Oh yeah, that's right. It's secret yeah. right now though. Top secret. You're going to have to wait. Don't fast forward though. Yeah. All right. So let's start off with Jeremy. Okay. So Jeremy is talking about a major hardware upgrade and man, this is a major hardware upgrade. Yes, he's going from a power PC Mac running tiger up to lion with a new Mac. Yeah. Jeremy says, I listen to your podcast and read both of your blogs and wonder if you know anyone who've made a major hard- hardware upgrade using a single PowerPC Mac using Tiger to having an iPhone, iPad, and a MacBook Air. He's going to be moving from his iBook G4 of seven years in a couple of months to an iPhone 4 or 5 if it's out, an iPad 2, and a MacBook Air. That is a major trip to an Apple store. Yeah. But you know, you've waited seven years. It's time. Yeah. So it's a huge leap from PowerPC to Intel and from 10.4 to 10.7 and a change to his workflow going from one device to three. And, for example, he's going from Pop, and he needs to figure out what to do to keep all that email in sync. So what does he do? Well, you know, let's start just assuming that he's going to Lion. Yeah, and Jeremy, you need to listen to our entire back catalog. Yes. Because <laughs> we, we cover a lot of these issues. But uh, so he's starting with Lion, he's starting with a new Mac. Um, you know, yeah. there, Apple does have some great uh, migration assistant type tools, but for a move of this nature, I'm thinking you don't migrate. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think you only bring over the documents and the data that you need. Yeah, so you, you kind of start over, you know. And, uh, you know, we talked in the last show about, you know, looking at what apps are ready for Lion. If you're coming from the PowerPC, uh, you're definitely going to have to take a close look at the apps you've been running. But I suspect that if he's coming up, and I don't know what Jeremy does for a living, but he could probably get by like with iWork and just start with the basics, some of the stuff we've talked about. But I would do a, a fresh install of that and bring your data over. Right. Now, you do need to be aware of some hardware limitations because if you're on an older, you know, seven-year-old iBook, um, you may or may not be talking USB 2.0. I don't know if that machine is going to be able to connect to migrate anything. You know, you may need to do an Ethernet connection. Oh, if you're going MacBook Air, your MacBook Air doesn't have an Ethernet connection. You'll either have to buy that little dongle. Um, you can migrate some of your data over a wireless network. Your best bet could also just be sneaker net. Yeah, I'm thinking um, you, you just know, load up files on a USB stick and bring them over as you need. Yeah, or, to. or just a little, you know, get a 200 gigabyte portable hard drive. And copy right. your iTunes over and copy your documents folder and, you know, the, the active documents that you're going to use. And then just copy those back onto the hard drive of your new MacBook Air, uh, just plugging the USB drive in. That may be the best way. Because, once again, we're going on the assumption that you're not doing a migration here. You know, migration uh, looks at your apps and imports the apps and imports the settings. And it's really neat because you get a new Mac and it runs exactly like your old Mac with about an hour and a half time. Whereas it, I'm not sure that's the way to go. Yeah, I, I don't think at all because you're going to have the PowerPC apps that don't run online and you're going to be importing a lot of stuff in there that probably is just going to, it may not slow you down or cause any troubles, but it could. So, you know, why take that risk? And and you've got a MacBook Air and depending on which size you've got, you may have limited hardware or hard drives. Yeah, exactly. So I think you start over. I mean. Uh, I'm probably going to start over with the 10.7. I was, I've been reconsidering my thoughts in the last episode. And even though I've been running Lion 
Um, it's been a while on both of these Macs since I'd done the kind of clean install, and maybe it's time. It doesn't take that long well, anymore. You know, David, I don't know that we explicitly said this on our last podcast, but I think the Apple-approved way to do a complete clean install of OS X Lion is to do an erase, a reinstall of Snow Leopard, an upgrade of Snow Leopard, and then install Lion on top. Oh, if that's what it takes, I'm not going to do it. Right. Yeah. But anyway, but back to Jeremy's question. You know, the big thing is is – you're going to evaluate your apps. I would reinstall your apps from scratch. I would move certain things. I would move certain documents. I would move I would move your iTunes library. Your iPhoto library can probably be upgraded if you've got things in there. Just keep in mind that the especially if you're using an older version of iPhoto, the the structure of the iPhoto library has probably changed in older versions of iPhoto. You could keep photos linked in new versions of iPhoto. It's going to keep it all in its little iPhoto package. So you do need to be aware of of things like that. Um, keep in mind some things you don't have to move over. If you're using a service like Mobile Me while it still exists, you, some of your contacts and calendars and and things like that can sync over. I'd also recommend uh, to go back and listen to our syncing episode, even though it's it's pretty far out of date now. We're going to have to redo that one. But the um, uh, you know you really want for the first time Jeremy's going to be syncing data because he's going to have three devices. So you have to look at, look at all the different ways you can do that. And the iCloud service I think is going to really be solve a lot of your problems. Right. And I think probably the best way to do that is get up and running on one of your machines and get it right and then turn on the syncing. So what about this uh, this pop problem he's got? He's, he's got all his mail is in pop, you know, and I guess that makes sense. If you're just on one device, you can get away with pop. You don't think about it. But now that's not going to work. Jeremy, now's the time to, to move to the wonderful world of IMAP. Yeah, and we talked about that at, at length in the the email episode, which also is probably too for a refresh. But the um, but the information I think in there is still good. Now, depending on what type of email you have, it may just be a matter of flipping a switch to to go from pop to time app. Yeah, he didn't say what his mail service was, but uh, I would recommend definitely getting on this iCloud, getting yourself a me dot com email. You know, he can't do that into the fall. Right yeah. now, you cannot sign up for a mobile me account unless you happen to be part of the developer program. Okay, so get yourself into Gmail. Yeah. Or or if your current email provider currently supports IMAP, you, you can maybe transition over to that. I like Gmail. You know, mobile me is good if you want to stick with Pop long enough. But you know what? If you've already got a mobile me account, that's probably already IMAP. Um, and then what do you what do you do about this mail that you've already got? Yeah. You probably have mail already sitting on your machine. I'm kind of rusty on this. It's been a long time since I ran Tiger, but I think even back as far as Tiger, you could drag a mailbox out of the mail app and put it on your desktop. Mm-hmm. And so I would try, just as an experiment, if nothing else, uh, pulling all the email off your um, your old machine onto the desktop and then putting that on that portable hard drive we talked about. And then copying it to the desktop on your fancy new MacBook Air and just try to drag it into the mail app and see what happens. You may be able to import it that way. Well, I think the first thing I would do, Jeremy, is I would buy yourself an external hard drive and I would make a clone of your your iBook G4 before you do anything. Now, that's going to be a different format because it's PowerPC, but do that and keep that and stick it on a shelf and keep it for a couple of months because you're going to find things that are wonky. You know, that, that things that you need or things that you didn't transfer. So just make this clone backup and stick it on a shelf. And that way you've got a perfect, pristine backup of your G4 iBook that if anything goes wrong, you can always go back to it and then start tweaking. And you might even be able to set up your new email account side by side in mail app, even on your old machine before you transition next to your old email account and manually drag, depending on the amount of email we're talking about. Yeah. Email from your pop account to your IMAP account. Now, if you're talking thousands of email messages, that that may not be practical. You know, uh, that's a good point about making a hard drive backup of the old machine. But also just if you can, I mean, just keep the old machine for a while. You don't know. Right. I mean, it's an older machine. You probably don't have it. Probably hasn't got much resale value. So just just keep it for a while. I am. I did that once, you know, I, I copied everything to the backup hard drive and I wiped the machine. And then like three months later, someone at the office, cause I, I built our office's website using iWeb. Someone says, Oh, we need to make a change to the website. And I went, oh, crud. it's gone. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, so there you have it. I, I think he's gone his way though. I mean, what a nice upgrade. You're going to, you're going to feel like you're joining the 21st century with all that fancy Apple technology he's getting. 
Yeah, but um, go back and listen to our Getting Ready for Line show. That'll that'll give you some tips on some of the apps that will and won't work. We've got the two email shows, the syncing show. There's a lot of shows in our back catalog. I think that will that will help. So, uh, yeah, you're you're going to be thrilled with this update. Yeah. yeah, I wonder which error he's getting. I, don't know. I hope he's waiting because from what I'm hearing, we may be getting some new ones. Actually, by the time this show publishes, we may have some new ones. Yeah. So wait. Wait for a lion. Waiting for a lion. Okay. okay. How about the next question? Okay. We got a question from uh, Marta about input devices. You remember on a recent episode of the Mac Roundtable, I think we were uh, commenting about some of the new uh, multi-touch gestures in line, and, and we were kind of complaining about um, having some RSI and, and what do all these multi-touch gestures mean? I, I don't use a lot of them because I find that after using them that I, I tend to get some pains in my wrist. But she writes... Uh, recently caught you via Stitcher Radio on the Mac Roundtable discussing your need for ergonomic comfort and your displeasure with the trackpad and Magic Mouse. I'm still struggling with pain on my new trackpad and mouse, and this wonderful new iMac is being ruined by the pain experienced with the use of the trackpad and Magic Mouse. So what do you all use? David, do you want to say it with me? Uh, I don't know. What is it? What are we going to say? <laughs> the Logitech MX Revolution. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I use best mouse yeah, ever. Yeah, it is a great mouse. I've used them for years. I've got one on my PC at the office. But no? I am, you know, if you go back to that Mac Roundtable, I, I participated in that show. And I was one of the only guys on it saying, hey, I'm okay with the Apple stuff. I, I use a Magic Trackpad with my iMac, and I like it. And I use it for everything. Really? Yeah. You mm, go first. That, that really crimps my style. Yeah, you go first. Okay. Well, I use the Logitech MX Revolution. It was the best mouse ever. It's it's no longer in production. Um, hopefully, I've got one in a closet somewhere. But it's been replaced by the Performix MX, which is still very good. It still has the same ergonomic feel to it. Um, and I think that's what I use at the office. But one of the things I did, I actually struggled with um, some RSI issues very, very early in life about uh, 10, 15 years ago and consulted with specialists and they were actually considering surgery, which I'm very thankful that I ended up not having. Um, and, and the thing that, that helped me more than anything is I got connected with an ergonomist, uh, who came out to my home and who did an evaluation of my workspace. And that seemed to make all the difference in the world. And they were able to make, um, suggestions and adjustments and things like, well, your, your chair needs to be, three inches lower or your monitor needs to be two inches higher and you need to get a keyboard tray and try this type of keyboard and that type of keyboard um, and, and raise this up and lower this. And some of this type of stuff you can, you can just do by trial and error. But, you know, fortunately I had someone who was able to help me out with some of this stuff and I found that it has made a world of difference. Um, And as long as I behave myself and I'm not, you know, flopped on the bed typing for hours on end and, um, you know, try to use good posture. And for any major work, I'm sitting at my desk typing correctly. I use an external keyboard and, um, and mouse. And I actually use one of those split keyboards. I find that for the most part, I'm okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm late to the RSI issues, but I've started to experience them in the last two or three years. And, um, for me, I get like a soreness and pain in my knuckles and my, it's not my wrist so much as my fingers. And in particular, my right index finger gets sore. I don't know; it's, it's weird, but you know. So I'm somebody who types a lot. I play the piano. It's your clicking finger. Yeah, exactly. It's, I I play the piano. I type a lot. I mean, I met almost ninety thousand words on the new book. That's a lot of typing. Um, but the uh, so the way I've dealt with it is very informal. I haven't sought medical treatment or anything. But uh, one thing I find is I need to take more breaks. I can't just sit and type for two hours, or I'll pay. But if I type for you know, 20 minutes, get up, kind of shake my hands out, wash them in some warm water and um, take little breaks. That really helps. And if I use the dictation software for the big, heavy typing projects, that helps a lot. And the thing, the reason I think I like the magic trackpad is I do, number one is I do like the gestures and I use them all the time. And once you get line, you're going to see why they're really helpful. But um, I don't use, on both my, my MacBook Air and my magic trackbook, I don't use the press to click feature where you have to actually physically press it down. I use it where you just touch it. And because, you know, my thing, my, my main pain seems to be in my clicky finger. I'll use like my ring finger, uh, to do all my taps. And it kind of allows me to kind of share the, you know, the load for tapping and flicking, uh, with other fingers. It sounds, I don't know if that makes any sense, but 
it works for me. So, uh, and I do find that using the trackpad brings me some relief from that stuff. So I use the trackpad. I had one for, you know, just for giggles. And my thought was I'd use the mouse and just keep the trackpad because it's wireless and you can just set it on the desk and just use that for gestures. And I don't know, about three or four months ago, I said, well, the batteries died on my mouse and I, I didn't have time to go get them. So I said, well, I'll just use the trackpad. And I haven't stopped using it since then. So right now I'm just using a trackpad. Uh, for my keyboard, I've wow. I've got the um, I've got the um, Tactile Pro, which is a really great keyboard. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I've stopped using it when we record because uh, people complain about all the noise it makes. So I'm using an Apple keyboard for that stuff. And to some extent, um, John Syracuse on Hypercritical, may, he has these issues too, and he made a point that he likes using the Apple keyboard because there's less travel, and he has RSI issues. So his fingers not to move as much, so he feels like uh, the Apple keyboard is actually ergonomic for him, which is an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought about it until I heard him say that. You know, the, the Apple keyboard has always been just a little too low profile for me, but I know people who love it. Yeah. So. But uh, I, I really dig my Magic Trackpad, and I use it all the time. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break and let's talk about our first sponsor, Smile and PDF Pen. Okay. You know, David, I found myself in a situation at the office this week where I had to get a contract signed and was time was very short. And unfortunately, my client had sent me back a copy that was not the best copy in the world. And I had to sign it and get it over to opposing counsel. And they had to sign it and get it over to their client. I'm looking at this thing and going, gosh, if we faxed it back and forth and back and forth, you know, you're never going to be able to read this thing by the time we're done with yeah. it. And I'm sitting here looking at this on on my PC with Adobe Acrobat installed, and um, I'm just not not digging it. So I found that the simplest thing to do and the best solution to this problem was to remote access into my Mac at home and to launch PDF Pen and to use PDF Pen to sign the contract, Dropbox it back to myself, and send it back on. The whole process took less than five minutes with about four and a half of those minutes being the, uh, getting access to my Mac at home via remote access. Wow. <laughs> that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it does. But you know, the simplest solution to the problem was to completely go around every, all of the technology we had in our office and access the copy of PDF pen that I had on my, my Mac at home. Yeah. I love PDF pen. I use it all the time and PDF pen pro even more because I like the uh, ability to bookmark stuff. But uh, I, I like you, I use it all the time, and I, I just can't get over on the Mac. I mean, the cheapest version of Adobe you can buy is Adobe Acrobat Pro, which retails for $450. Or you can get PDF Pen for a fraction of that, $60 for the app or $100 for the Pro version. So even if you get the Pro version, you're still saving yourself 350 bucks. I mean, go ahead and get yourself an iPod and listen to it while you're you know, working on your PDFs, right? There you go. So PDF Pen to the rescue once again. You can learn more about PDF Pen and all of the other great software that the developers over at Smile create over at smilesoftware.com. PDF Pen is $59.95. PDF Pen Pro is $99.95. It's available from their website or through the Mac App Store. And we thank them for their support of the show. Yeah, and they're just great people. Great app developers for the Mac. Okay, so the next question is from Alexander. And he wanted us to follow up on our keynote show now that the things I was complaining about on the iPad have largely been fixed. If you haven't been keeping up with the news, uh, the, uh, the iPad, now you can advance slides using the remote app on your iPhone. And as well, you can broadcast your keynote wirelessly from the iPad to the Apple TV when Lion iOS, I'm sorry, when iOS 5 releases in the fall. So he says, what does that mean? Well, Katie, you just recently presented with your iPad, so why don't you go first? Yeah, I had a, a, you know, if you've been following me on Twitter or following my blog, I had a sudden failure of my MacBook Air. It was working beautifully one moment, and I had a um, spinning pinwheel the next, and then it never woke up again kind of situation. And it turned out I had a, a bad logic board and had to send off to Apple for repair. But as luck would have it, my MacBook Air died the evening before I was supposed to go give two presentations at a local Mac user group. Um, fortunately... The presentations were saved in my Dropbox, and fortunately, they were done. So it was um, fairly simple for me once I had gotten over the panic of, oh my gosh, my MacBook Air has just died, 
to, you know, collect my thoughts and figure out, okay, how can I move forward and actually give this presentation? So I was able to download the presentations onto my iPad through the Dropbox app, and that worked swimmingly. And I was going to give these presentations, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, you know, I, this is passable. I can do this. I'm really not thrilled, though, with having to sit down at the table and give my presentation and flick the screen because I'm the type of person I like to walk around the room when I give a presentation and um, interact and things like that. And I realized that the uh, remote app, the 99 cent remote app from Apple had been updated and I launched it. And much to my surprise on my iPhone, it will link up either via Wi-Fi or um, uh, Bluetooth and you can pair the two and it will show you a presentation of the current slide on your iPad the next slide, as well as any presenter notes that you may have put in. And you can um, not even be in the same room as your iPad or not standing anywhere near your iPad, which I wasn't because the iPad was, was off to the side connected to the projector. And I was viewing my slides. I had the presentation behind me. I could see my notes. I could see the upcoming slide and then flick along. And it, it worked very, very well. Um, you know, that's not quite the same as having a remote with one button on it that you press. It is not, but it worked in a pen. Yeah. And maybe it's a little better because on a remote, you don't get to see what's coming next. So in some ways it's better. I think it's also a little more fidgety because you have to kind of look down at the screen and swipe it with your finger. Right. And I will tell you, there was a touch of a delay from time to time when I was on Wi-Fi because I was on Wi-Fi and the entire room was on the same Wi-Fi network that I was on. And I, I can't help but wonder if, if maybe when there was a lot of activity on the Wi-Fi network, if, if my responsiveness went down. So perhaps Bluetooth would have been better to compare it over Bluetooth because if you're, if you're trying to land a slide boom and you you want to make a point and you want to land it right then and there, it, it would not have worked well over Wi-Fi. Uh, now, I don't recall, Katie, do you have to swipe or can you just tap it to make it advance? I think I swiped, but perhaps you could have tapped. Okay, so that's a little easier. Uh, but, you know, a, a good cue on this is if you look at all the Apple presentations they just did at WWDC, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't up there holding an iPhone swiping. No, he, he had wasn't. a trigger. So <laughs> uh, the, the other thing is I can tend to be a little animated when I talk, and I was a little nervous with holding an iPhone in my hand being somewhat animated. <laughs> ah, woo, I can just see it, like, it flying across the room as you make your point. <laughs> yeah. Back up, but it back worked. up, back up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so I think that's a little a little goofy, but um, yeah. I, I think but it's it workable, though. I, uh, I'm definitely interested in doing this. Recently, the presentations I've been giving have involved hands-on stuff with the Mac, so I can't uh, just do it with the iPad because at some point I need to open OmniGraffle or something. But uh, the legal stuff, I'm pretty sure I could get with the, uh, with the with the iPad and that remote app. Uh, but the thing I'm really yeah. excited about is this thing they're doing now with the new release of iOS 5 where they're upgrading the Apple TV to wirelessly, it's called, um, what is that? You know, I should know the name of this. Airplay? No, but it's more than that. It's like AirPlay mirroring, I think is what they call it. Okay. And so uh, it's, a, it's a feature where anything that's on your iPad automatically wirelessly jumps to the Apple TV and plays on your television. Yeah. Well, it's anything if it's an Apple TV too, and it's many things if it's a regular Apple. No, TV. you mean it's if, supported if things. You mean it's anything? If it's, it's I'm not. sorry, it's anything. It's an iPad too, and it's supported things if it's an iPad. Yeah. One. So, uh, right. with my iPad too, I can give a keynote and hold my iPad, and then I can use all those great features in the iPad, like the laser pointer, and I can use the presenter views and notes where I've got a nice bigger screen, and I could totally see myself walking in a room carrying just my iPad and giving a presentation that way. And I think that would be even more intuitive for me than using the iPhone. And so I'm thinking seriously about, you know, at our work, we've been talking for a long time about putting up a big screen TV in our conference room. Currently we have a projector in there, which takes work and you have to turn off the lights. I, I like the idea of just being able to flip it on and, and share stuff with clients or depositions or whatever. Well, if we're going to do that for extra hundred bucks, all the iPads yeah. in the office can automatically broadcast to it. And that's just like a no brainer to me. Uh, so for a fixed location, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, uh, you know, thinking about myself, uh, if I was going to a courtroom, that's another problem. I guess, could I hook up an Apple TV in a courtroom? I guess I could, uh, but I'd have to have a Wi-Fi network. So I'd have to 
have something like a MiFi or use my iPhone or something to create a network for them. So it would be a little bit of a you know hassle. But uh, if I could make it work, and I'm, I'm just going to have to play with it when when I get some more time. You could use an Airport Express and connect. Use a network that was not connected. To the yeah, I, I'm sure there's a good workflow for it, and I think it's really the idea is really exciting to me because I'm just thinking about going through a trial and being able to you know put documents up on the screen or presentations or pictures or anything just by you know pushing a button and walking around the room with the iPad and doing it. Man, it's going to be great. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. I think. That was one of my dream features. It's kind of funny because I wrote the uh, the chapter for iPad at Work about presentations uh, before the iOS 5 announcement. And I had put this whole section in the book uh, complaining about you know how great the iPad Keynote app is and how there are so many barriers to using it in the real world. And I was saying, man, someday I bet they're going to get it where I can play through an Apple TV, but I'm sure it'll take a couple of years. And then, of course, the announcement comes out and there it is. So... I took a machete to that chapter. Sounds awfully slick, Mr. Sparks. Yes. I, I like that slick label. I need it more, more yeah. often. So I, I am, to answer your question, Alexander, I'm very excited about this. I think that the iPad just became a much better presentation tool because of it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all fits together. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Brad, and it's, um, gosh, this is a question I'm sure we'll get more feedback on than anything else we've discussed because there are so many different opinions. Yeah, the engineers right now can start booting up their computers because you can. Yeah, go ahead. Start your emails. Um, Battery conditioning. A a, a request for a discussion about uh, lithium battery maintenance. I recently purchased a replacement battery for my 2008 MacBook Pro, and the only thing I found to be consistent regarding usage instructions is how inconsistent they are. Some say keep the ions moving. Some say drain to dead, rinse and repeat. Others say keep them fully charged most of the time. Still others say to keep the thing between 40 and 80% charged. What's the answer? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I can tell you my world, real world experience, and I'm not an engineer, and I know Apple has a support document on this. but in, We'll put the link in the yeah, show. Notes. In my house, my wife and I both use MacBooks, and... She uh, uses hers essentially as a desktop computer. And despite my best efforts, she keeps that thing plugged in all the time and juiced up to 100%. I I just cannot get her to untether that thing from power, no matter what I ask. Uh, Sounds like her next machine's an iPad. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd think, right? But uh, she does like taking it on trips and stuff. So uh, either way, uh, so we've got this computer in the house that will never go off power. And then we've got mine, which I abuse with, you know, regularly. I I hardly ever have it plugged in. I'm running the battery up and down every day. Um, uh, And about every two or three weeks, I have a, it's a three week timer in OmniFocus, 21 days to kill the battery in my MacBook Air. So I, uh, you know, once every three weeks that task comes up in OmniFocus, I check it off and I boot up uh, caffeine, the little menu bar app. And I light it up so my Mac doesn't, you know, get tired or dim the screen or anything all day. And, you know, within six or so hours, I've run it down to zero. And then when it happens, I shut the lid and I don't do any work on it until it's fully charged again. I plug it in and wait for the plug to turn green. So I'm I'm very aggressive about, you know, exercising my battery. And I can tell you my wife's battery's health is much worse than mine. Mm-hmm. You know? And so... In my in my world, I think that's evidence that you know you need to exercise the battery. Right. Well, Apple's support doc basically says this to calibrate the battery, which they only really discuss in machines that do not have user replaceable batteries, because they say that all these newer machines have this this you know thousand hour battery or thousand year battery or whatever this super battery. But in the machines that do not have user replace the, the machines that do have user replaceable batteries, what they say to calibrate it is they say, plug it in, fully charge it, and leave it fully charged plugged in for at least two hours. Disconnect it and continue to work on it until you get the low battery warning. And then when you get the low battery warning, save all of your work, but continue to use the computer knowing that at any time it could automatically go to sleep. Um they say either turn the computer off or allow it to sleep for five hours or more to basically make sure it's really drained down, connect the adapter and leave it connected until it's fully charged. So basically drain it, charge it all the way up, 
drain it all the way down, charge it all the way up. And that's basically what I do when I calibrate it. I've got mine set for every two weeks, but probably every other time I don't do it because I know that I've been exercising it regularly. I haven't had much of an issue um, with the more recent machines, my last one being a 13-inch MacBook Air or MacBook Pro that had a built-in battery and my more um, recent one being a MacBook Air that, of course, has the, the built-in battery. But I, I do agree that that exercising the battery tends to allow it to, to live longer. There's a, there are a couple of tools you can use. There's one called Coconut Battery that you can use to kind of keep track of, of your battery's life. But there are a couple of things you should look out for, um, particularly if your battery gets to 20 24%, 30%, something like that, and your, your machine automatically shuts off. You know, if you're shutting off well before the time that you should, that can be a symptom that you have like a bad cell in your battery. Um, or of course, you know, anytime that you see any kind of swelling or problems like that, you, you definitely want to immediately check to get your battery replaced. But that's that's definitely abnormal behavior with battery. And technically, Apple Care doesn't cover batteries because those are considered, um, you know, things that get used. But I've had Apple on more than one occasion replace out a battery for me for machines that have been covered by Apple Care. When I've made the argument to them that that look, this is not normal behavior for this battery. Yeah, another good one is called uh, battery health meter, and we're going to put links right. in the, the show notes. Uh, with with my wife Daisy's computer, she, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy because she's used it on power so long. Now, when she does take it off, it drains much faster, and so that just in, makes her more want to just keep it plugged in. And the computer is just a little bit older than mine; it shouldn't it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't have that many problems. You know? I'm just tripping all over myself today, aren't I? That's okay. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's any real answer to this, but our experience is that exercising the battery at least once a month, preferably a couple of times a month, tends to equal longer life. Yeah. Just charge it up and run it down, but make sure you do it at a time that's convenient because the last thing you want is to need to grab it and go and find that it's not ready. Yeah. And sometimes I'll make sure I do it on a Saturday. Okay, so we've covered the batteries. Let's talk about our next sponsor, 1Password. You know, 1Password is the app that just keeps on giving. I recently had a colleague come into my office and ask me what the password was for the server in our, our office. And he says, you know, what what am I going to do? I've got this wacky system of keeping track of all these passwords. And I kind of forget. I've got this cryptic way of, of keeping everything written down in this, this little, you know, contact, that fake contact that I create in my contacts. And I, I don't know what to do with this. And... Um, of course, this was my opening to launch into one password. Now, uh, this business colleague of mine just recently got an iPhone. Now they do use a PC, but one password is available for the PC now. And I said, come here, let me show you. And I brought them over and I showed them the demo of one password on my iPhone and on my PC at work and showed them that you can have any password stored in there and that it will autofill your passwords and that there is no excuse to have a password that you're using over and over and over again. And he was mesmerized. So I think I may have another convert. And you know, it's funny. I go out of my way not to evangelize Apple products, you know, because I don't really feel I should be that guy. If, if you love the PC and if Windows 7 does it for you, then by all means use Windows 7. So I don't, I don't push people, but I do evangelize one password. Whenever someone comes to me and they've got any kind of issue with passwords, I can't help myself but talking to them about it. And uh, they just put a great article up on their website. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, where they're talking about how to come up with a good password, you know, because you need to come up with that one password to to rule them all for the app. And it was really educational for me, you know, because not long doesn't necessarily equal good. And like, I didn't know you can use spaces. Did you know you can spaces in your one password password? Not until I read. Yeah, that so we're going to put that up. Uh, make sure to go read it for those of you who are already using one password, so you can get a better master password. But in the meantime, I mean, there's no reason not to get this app if you haven't done it yet. I know we talk about it a lot, but it's really invaluable. It's a $40 on your Mac. Uh, you can get a five user uh, family pack for $70. Uh, you can get it on both your iPad and your iPhone for 15, or you can get it on either one for 10. Uh, go check out one password. And we've got a link in our, uh, on our show page where you can get a, a discount. So it's even cheaper if you buy it through us. There you go. Thank you. One password for your sponsorship of the show. All right, what's next? Uh, next, we want to talk about privacy. We got an email from Scott who said, there's an issue that you've missed so far. 
in Mac Power users. You've covered security, but not privacy. You both seem to use a number of cloud services, which are great. Uh, given the culture of space shifting, but they all include a level of intrusion into your privacy. Um, we talk about Gmail and ad targeting. We've talked about FeedBurner. We've talked about all kinds of things. So, and we're going to talk about Dropbox a little bit later. So I'm going to specifically skip over Dropbox because we're going to talk about that separately in a minute. Um, but David, what about privacy? Do we want to be profiled? Yeah. I, I'm not sure you can avoid it. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my take on a couple of things, there's, I think we need to distinguish the difference between privacy and security. Um, there is a certain cost associated with running a lot of the free services that we take for granted, uh, with using Gmail, with using Google reader, with using services like feeder, with using, um, Google docs, with using those types of things. And these companies are businesses and they need to make revenue. And I understand that and appreciate that. And unless I'm willing to pay a premium for their service, I understand that there's a certain cost associated with that and, and they need to make money. And some of the ways that they make money is, is off of the information that they well, collect in from Google's them. case, off in Google's me. case, just about the only way they make money is off the information they collect. Yeah. Right. Um, so, my take on that, so long as the data that they collect on me is anonymous, I, I'm not sure that I personally care. And I'm speaking from my personal experience. I don't expect everybody to share my views. So um, collecting and aggregating this anonymous data to me seems to be a small price to pay. Um, and as long as nobody can read my content or identify the content to me, obviously without the appropriate court orders. And I would really prefer it if these companies didn't keep this information so that anybody could access it. Um, you know, I think that's okay. But then again, my browsing habits are, are pretty, pretty vanilla. So, well, um, I, I guess that's, there's a couple of questions you're raising there. I mean, the first one is true. I mean, I think for us and most of our listeners, you know, we're, there's no state secrets in our email, and there's no, I don't think there's a whole lot. If someone were able to, to read all that stuff, it wouldn't matter, except in both of our cases, we've got confidential client communications in emails. Um, that's why I don't put client emails in yeah, Gmail. Yeah, and, and that's a point, you know. So we talked about Gmail, and we talked about um, Google Reader in the same sentence, and I don't see those two as same-sentence kinds of services, because... Google Reader says, oh, I really like to see what Eddie says at Practically Efficient or what Merlin says at 43 Folders or what Katie says at katiefloyd.me. If somebody wants to find out that about me, I don't really care. I mean, I'll tell them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Google Google Mail reads the email. And um, I'll never forget, my wife was uh, looking to to buy something and she, she wrote a friend saying, where do you find something that does this? And then in the sidebar there was an ad for that product and she was so amazed about how they could do that, you know, and she thought it was great and it scared the hell out of me. You know, (laughs) I'm just thinking, Mm -hmm. wow, if I write something to my client, somebody's reading it. I don't think there's some evil person at Google that's actually reading the email. I think it's a computer. Now, is it somebody or is it some computer algorithm? Um, It's it's not somebody. It's Watson. But the fact that anything is capable of doing that would mean that at least, Possibly a human could get in there as well. And it just creeped me out. And that was several years ago. We've been doing this podcast for years. And even before we started doing the podcast, I was anti-Gmail. Well, I can say that now Mac Power users, we do our Gmail, our our show email through Gmail. And I'm starting to use it a lot more. And I'm starting to find things I like about it. And I'm finding myself compromising more about saying, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal because it's got some great service to me. So. It's got great junk mail. It's got, you know, it is definitely a sliding scale. And I think it's similar to security because with security, you always say we're balancing convenience versus security. And to a large extent, we're also balancing privacy versus security. So if you want to be very private, you can uh, get a candle and, and some paper and, you know, a signet ring. Right. And when you want to send somebody a note, you, you, you write it down in secret code with invisible ink and then you, uh, melt some wax on the paper and hit your seal over it, and then you uh, maybe hire somebody to hand deliver it, right? So that's very private, but it's not very convenient. And then, you know, you go to the Gmail alternative where, hey, I've got a great email service here, but a computer is reading everything I write. Somewhere in the middle, I don't know. It de- it's definitely context sensitive. With my personal stuff, I'm not so sh- 
sure I really care that much uh, whether a Gmail computer reads it or not. With my legal stuff, uh, it's a very big deal to me. Right. And and we should touch on that very briefly. You know, there there are situations, you know, and there are things you can do about it. You you can use private browsing in certain situations, and in some situations that will protect you and some that it won't. Um, I am very cautious, and I think everybody needs to be, about what information they put online and what companies can do with that information. You know, whether it's information that you put in Facebook or on Google Plus or on any of those um, you know, I'm, I'm very cautious about that. And I, I do read terms of services and EULAs and I, I am very cautious to know who has access to my data, who owns my data and who, you know, uh, under what conditions can they get to it? Yeah. And if, but, and if you have a job, yeah. um, before you use yeah. any of these cloud services that we wax on about, um, talk to your IT and make sure that's kosher. Yeah. Talk to your IT and talk to your boss. Don't, don't make that decision yourself. All right. So and that moves into the next question from Mel. And uh, Dropbox has had some issues since we did our show on Dropbox. Right. Um, so the question from Mel is, do you guys still recommend Dropbox? I found out about them from you guys. And I've now recently remember hearing about two scandals that they are involved in with deceptive terms of service, um, as well as their recent security thing. So, yeah, well, let- And then the third question is, will iCloud... Um, get rid of a lot of the need for Dropbox. Okay, so let's take the first question: Is their their security breach? Okay. I mean, so they had. I'm not happy about no, this. No, no. I mean, it's ridiculous. So they've got this service that everybody loves, and they pushed out an update that removed the requirement to have a password to get into your account. So for four or five hours, depending on who you believe, uh, anybody could have logged in with my. Uh, my user name, which is an email address, which makes it pretty easy for people to figure out. And they could mm-hmm. have got access to everything in my Dropbox. And any password. They could have put in 12345 in as your password, which I know, David, you use regularly as your password. Yeah, right. uh, and so yeah. the whole world of Dropbox was open for five hours. And Dropbox, uh, they've you know obviously discovered it at some point, and they patched it, and they've been very apologetic, and they've said that we're researching, and we've decided you know we're checking IP numbers, and we're figuring out exactly what happened, and all of that stuff. But the fact that it happened at all is inexcusable. I mean, how do you have a service? I mean, how do you put out an update without checking the password authentication? Isn't that the very first thing that you would have? I mean... Well, I think what they probably did is is that their check was probably to check and see if your password logged you into your account, and it did. What they didn't check to see is if an incorrect password did not. Yeah, log but you how into do you account. not do that? I mean, how? I mean, oh, how stupid true. is that? I mean, I'm putting all this data with these people, and they're not smart enough to figure that out. I was I was upset when I heard about yeah. this, um, and you know, I don't really. I'm not going to apologize for them. I think it's ridiculous, and I feel embarrassed a little bit. I mean, I've got a whole section of this new book I'm writing about Dropbox, and I'm talking about it all throughout the book. I'm like, when well, do I have to go back and yank it all out? You know, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, at the time, I, I calmed down after a while. I'm thinking, well, I'm sure that this will never happen again from them. But It's kind of like you want to fly the airline right after they've had an accident. I don't know. But, I mean, if, if you make that kind of mistake, what other kinds of mistakes are you making? I mean, I, I really seriously question um, the this, this service now. But I don't really have the well, answer. And also is because they've made this question, do they become a bigger target? Do hackers now think, whoa, you got, you got a bunch of people over there running this business who don't know what they're doing? Let's go see what else we well, can do. Well, I know some people, some pretty big people have dropped. I mean, Dave Weiner, uh, the guy who came up with OPML, which I love so much, is he's out of Dropbox now. He made it very public when he withdrew. And uh, so it, I can't answer the question for you, uh, Mel, whether you stay with Dropbox or not. I can tell you, in my case, I decided to stay because, you know, it's, once again, it's this right. convenience thing. It, it does such a good job at what it does. Um, I did send an email to them, which I have not received a response from, <laughs> but, uh, you know, saying how upset I was about it, but I'm sure that they're probably flooded with this stuff. Uh, I don't know where, you know, we go with Dropbox. I, I do think that they've gone from an automatic to uh, something where they're on probation in my life at this point, because you have much more of this nonsense and then I will be done with it. Well, I think we, we now think harder about the things that we put in Dropbox. Yeah. 
And I'd gotten lax about things that I put in Dropbox. I've never put in client documents in Dropbox because that was a barrier that I wasn't going to cross. I've never put financial information in Dropbox. But a couple of months ago, and I I had written about this, ironically, the post posted while Dropbox was wide open about how I moved my entire documents folder to Dropbox and how that act really saved my bacon when my computer died unexpectedly. My entire documents folder was in Dropbox. Now, I am very careful about what I put in my documents folder. I should start with that. You know, there are only truly documents in in my documents folder. So it it wasn't anything, you know, I I went through there and I looked and I said, okay. Um, But I actually logged into my Dropbox account during this breach. And um, so I got an email from Dropbox that said, hey, someone logged into your account during this breach. And I have every reason to believe it was me because I have a, a, a memory of logging into my account during that time, but I have no way of knowing whether it was anybody else besides me. So I think that the takeaway from the security breach is this, uh, you know, put stuff on Dropbox that you're okay with uh, being out there. I mean, anytime, I think Andy and Notco once said, you know, there's, was it, he has a speech he gives where he says that there's stuff on the internet and there's stuff that's not on the internet. You know, and anything that's on the internet is something that you should be willing to let be out there. So, and I think that's a good point, but so, you know, when you put stuff on Dropbox, give some thought to that. But if you have something that is at all co- of concern to you, go ahead and encrypt it first on your Mac and just upload it as an mm-hmm. encrypted disk image. And it adds a little extra step. You have to download it and unencrypt it to use it. But I think that's a nice compromise. And uh, I've always done that. So that made me feel a little better about when this happened. If somebody had got something that I had considered sensitive, it would have been an encrypted file that they would have never broken through anyway. And once they got through it, they'd find out, you know, how much my water bill is. So <laughs> it's not a big deal. But the um, uh, so there's something to do, you know, if you want to kind of give yourself a little protection is audit your Dropbox and encrypt anything that you have. I did a screencast on it years ago. I think it's still up at the Max Sparky screencast. There's a ton of, yeah, well, there's a ton of internet stuff out there on how to do an encrypted disk image on a Mac. It's like really easy. So uh, make sure you do that. Find out how to do it and get it up there. Now, uh, so that's the first okay. question is, you know, their security breach. The second question is the Dropbox terms of service changes. and that, that I think there's been a lot of confusion about yeah. that. And and they've since updated their blog post again Twice. with, like, clarifications to the clarifications yeah. to the clarifications. Yeah, so th- this is a legal mumbo-jumbo terms of service saying, you know, what they can and can't do with the data. And, um, you know, the way they first did it sounded kind of draconian that they can use anything you put up there for anything they want. And everybody, you know, you know, started seeing the sky falling and, and was saying, oh, this is the end of the world. Uh, then they said, well, no, we didn't really mean that. And then they clarified, well, we really didn't mean that. And, uh, and I think on top of the security breach, um, if this event had taken place independent of the security breach, uh, I don't think it would have made much of a big deal. But on top of the security breach, you know, everybody like is already, you know, got Dropbox and double secret probation in their life. And now it's triple secret probation. Right. Um, and we, we hate talking about lost stuff on the show because that's not what we do, but I can tell you that just about any online service, if you read their terms of service, it gives them a ton of back doors because guys like me write them to like, at the end of the day, protect the, the service, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to want to have something they can hang their hat on to say that they're not liable for some problem you have because of this. And they're not willing to accept that liability. And if they were, they'd charge you a lot more money than they're charging already. And some of these services are even free. So uh, don't kid yourself. I think with any of these online terms of services, at the end of the day, uh, they're going to deny responsibility for anything that happens to your data. And I think you just go into that understanding it. Um, practically they can't really do that because they're out of business. If they, if they were to go in there and start using our data, uh, for their own gain and it got out, that'd be the end of Dropbox or whatever service you want to talk about. But, um, I don't get myself too excited about these online terms of service things because I think they always, you know, they're always pretty draconian. And like when you go park your car at the stadium, read the thing on the back of the ticket. I mean, you know, if they lift your car up with a giant magnet and drop it on your head, it's not their fault, according to them. So that's just kind of part of life. Yeah. Um, the last thing, and I would encourage you to go to their blog post and, and read the revisions to the revisions to the revisions. It seems that they've clarified to, that they're now trying to say what's yours is yours. Yeah. Not I don't think the Dropbox is an evil company or out there to try and use our data against us. And I don't think that they... Um, 
intentionally had the security breach either. That's the reason why I'm still with them. Right. But on probation. Yeah. Um, as for iCloud, you know, I really don't see iCloud changing my Dropbox behavior. In fact, if anything, I see um, with iDisk going away, although iDisk never really worked the way I thought it should work, I, I see myself depending on Dropbox more with iDisk going away. I think iCloud will work for certain things to sync certain things among my multiple devices, but iCloud's not going to sync everything among my multiple devices. iCloud isn't going to sync my documents folder, at least out the door that we know of. You know, iCloud isn't going to sync my PDFs. You know, as far as we know, iCloud is just going to sync, you know, right now iWorks documents and and whatever other developers, um, you know, plan to develop for that. So Dropbox will sync whatever I put in the Dropbox folder. So I I don't see iCloud in any way diminishing my need for Dropbox. I see them as two very different features. If you live in a world where you're using mainly iWorks documents and mainly documents that other developers have built iCloud support into, then maybe, but that's not my world. Yeah, they really are. I think you nailed it. They're two different services. So, you know, you think about iCloud this way. If I have pages and I have my documents and pages on my Mac, they automatically appear in pages on my iPad and my iPhone. And there's nothing I need to worry about. I don't have to worry about a folder. I don't have to worry about downloading and transferring. It's it's completely uh, user independent. It just happens, which is, you know, an Apple, the Apple way, right? And I think a lot of people who don't have Dropbox accounts and the idea of opening folders to them would, you know, cause them to break out into a sweat are going to love this. And that's all they're going to need. Um, for the people listening to this show, I, I suspect most of you guys are pretty sophisticated. And uh, Dropbox gives a little more control, uh, but it takes a little more work. And I, I see myself using both services a lot. But I was thinking about it when the iCloud announcement came out. I was thinking, you know, like there's one area of my life where iCloud wouldn't work, and that is PDFs. Because I use PDFs in PDF Pen Pro, and I use PDFs in Goodreader. Uh, and I use PDFs and, you know, apps on, on the Adobe on my uh, PC at work. So if I have a PDF file, it's going to be uh, running through multiple apps. Whereas, and that iCloud won't solve that problem. Now, if I had one PDF app that I loved, you know, let's say uh, PDF Pin has a, an iPad app and they have, you know, their great Mac app. And I could keep all my PDFs in one app and they used iCloud, then I could use iCloud. But for my current PDF workflow... It's not going to happen. So it just depends on what you're doing. But uh, I see iCloud as helping, but it's not going to replace Dropbox. Did I just ramble on about that? I think no, I did a little bit. Okay. Right. okay. So anyway, to answer uh, Mel's question, I'm sticking with Dropbox, but if you're not, I can appreciate that. And uh, if you do stick with Dropbox, make yourself some encrypted files for anything that you think is uh, you don't want other eyes reading. Sounds like Yeah, okay. Plan. Well, I think it's time to talk about our next sponsor, the Omni Group. Okay. So uh, I've been using OmniGraffle a lot lately. Okay. okay. So I'm doing a bunch of stuff for the book. I'm doing some stuff for my wife. She's starting a new business, so we're laying out all these ideas. And, you know, every time I open OmniGraffle, I just love it more. I had to get a graphic. Uh, we were building a keynote slide, and we wanted to show how you could get more customers from doing something. And I went to Graffletopia. And if you don't know what Graffletopia is, you got to check it out as soon as you get done listening to this podcast. It's a bunch of stencils for OmniGraffle that people develop, and they put them up there for free. I found these great little people stencils in um, Graffletopia. So I downloaded them, put them into OmniGraffle, made this great-looking slide, saved it out as a, um, as a transparent PNG. So then I could just drop it in my keynote presentation, leaves the background there. And the whole thing took me like, five, ten minutes. I mean, it's just amazing how fast you can get at this stuff using OmniGraffle. So uh, OmniGraffle really is a replacement uh, for a lot of things on your Mac. It's a, it's a great graphics package that allows you to make quick and easy graphics and diagrams. It's $100. Um, you can get OmniGraffle Pro for 200 bucks, which has got additional features, and they have it for the iPad for 50 And this is one that I'm sure that they're going to get like I- iCloud support. That's, you know, thinking about that one. Yeah, Omni Group is usually on top yeah, of that. Yeah, and stuff. you'll be able to jump between uh, your various apps. You know, everybody was hard on Omni Group about not having Dropbox support, and now you're starting to think, well, maybe they had it figured out. They're going to put it all into iCloud. 
Well, thank you, Omni Group, for your continued support of Mac Power Users. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, last time we did a question and answer show, we covered the issue of finance because we get a lot of questions saying, why don't you do a show on finance? And it just doesn't seem to me like it uh, lends itself to a full show because there really isn't a good solution on the Mac. And we got a great uh, comment from George from Tulsa on the uh, on the board, the message board, about all the stuff. He went through, as of July 5th, he went through and summarized all the various alternatives in his uh, experiences. And And this is interesting timing for this because a lot of people are looking at this now because – Quicken 2007, which is probably one of the most popular versions of Quicken that a lot of people are still using, we talked about this in our Getting Ready for Lion show, is not going to work with Lion, at least right out of the gate. There's some discussion that they may try to bring it back, but you know, the only version of Quicken the, that's going to work on the on Lion is Quicken Essentials, which a lot of people aren't happy about. Yeah, and I so that's what's kind of brought this topic to the forefront. Yeah, and I, you know, I I've always felt that you know, Intuit, the publishers of Quicken. They just don't respect the Mac very much, you know. I mean, if you look at Quicken, uh, they came out with a newer version for the Mac that took a lot of the features out, which is why a lot of people are still on Quicken 2007. And you look at QuickBooks and you compare it to the Word version out for Windows, and there really isn't a good way to work with Windows QuickBooks, which is what most businesses run on. Uh, so then we started looking at the alternatives out there, and, and George talked about iBank, and he talked about how it excels at bringing data. He liked the auto categorization and repeating transactions, but um, uh, he said that uh, his problem with iBank and other Mac alternatives, including Money for Money Dance, Money Well, and several others, is the user interface. He thought that the window opens at the very, very bottom of the iBank window, and he thought it just wasn't really done right. I mm-hmm. sometimes think that there's space here for somebody that really wants to just kill this to go in and just start from scratch. And come up with uh, the feature list of like a Quicken 2007 and just build a a natural uh, Mac app that really does it. And it doesn't seem like there is one. I mean, every couple of years there's a new one. There used to be one called Cha-Ching. Remember that? I don't know if that one's even out anymore. Mm -hmm. They merged with somebody else. I think they merged. I I, I don't want to say with who. I I thought maybe iBank, but that may not be true. I I think that really where the... Or maybe quicken. And, and this kind of relates to the stuff we were talking about earlier about privacy and cloud documents. Is I really think this is heading on the Mac towards online banking solutions. Well, a lot of people like Mint. Yeah, I use Mint. I I actually I'm using Quicken Essentials and for my very, very basic use, it's fine for yeah. me. I'm not printing checks. I I use it as a glorified checkbook register and I like to do budgeting and see what's coming up and make sure that I'm Comfortable with everything. Yeah. Well, uh, I like uh, I like Mint. There's some others. Like if you're running a business, alternatives to QuickBooks. There's QuickBooks Online, which is okay, but mm-hmm. you're paying a monthly subscription to Intuit. Uh, but if you're in the QuickBooks realm, uh, I think that's a good solution. Um, you can also look at some of these third party apps that are coming into uh, development that are web based that are doing a good job. Uh, FreshBooks is one. Another really good one is called Indonero. Um, uh, we got another email from a uh, from a listener, and I don't see it here. I'm going to look it up, and I'll add it to the show notes uh, of another app. I just it escapes me as we uh, record this. Uh, so there's some stuff out there. I, I think that the online stuff is kind of where it's heading. Although you know you worry about security and privacy with that stuff because now you're putting your financial stuff out on the internet. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. I mean, uh, George ultimately agreed with me that if you need to run Quicken or QuickBooks, just get a uh, cheap. Windows box in the corner of the room and run it there. Um, but, you know, there are solutions. You can run it through virtualization and do other things. But uh, in my mind, the solution is really to get away from Quicken and QuickBooks if you can. Right. Well, and then one of, one of the concerns is that Quicken and, and QuickBooks, it, it, they're, the, they're, well, as you get into Quicken Essentials, they're making it more difficult to import and export your data in and out, or, or at least to get your data out so you can use them with some of these other programs. Yeah, I gave up on Quicken. And like, been one of the I don't know. But there are a lot of people who say, you know, this is my financial data. You know, if you look at my data, I have got transactions going back over 15 years. And a lot of that I don't need. I probably don't need a lot of that. I probably don't need transactions going back more than a couple of years. But there are a lot of people who say, and I understand that they say this, that, you know, Quicken's the, or Intuit's the giant. They've been there forever. They'll probably be there 
well, maybe not if they continue to act the way that they have, they'll probably be there in the near future. I don't know that I want to put my data with somebody else. I understand that concern. I just don't think there's a good answer on the Mac. There's not a great and that's answer. That's why we can't no. get excited about it enough to do a whole show on it. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, Quicken keeps saying we're working on it or Intuit keeps saying we're working on it. Um, you know, they kind of apologetically launched Quicken Essentials uh, at Macworld. Was it this year or last, last year? year? You know, it seems like we, it seems like we've been living with it for a while and saying, you know, promising updates. We promise this is coming. This is coming. New features are coming and they're not here I, yet. I think when they say we're working on it, what they mean is we bought mint. Yeah. Yeah. Mint just doesn't work for me, you know, in terms of my budgeting and, and forecast yeah. features. You know, I like to be able to put a transaction in, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be paying my mortgage on the 30th of this month. I want to be able to see that coming up on the 30th of this month and also see that before that I've got a paycheck that's going to be po- deposited on the 28th and see that before that I've got this cable bill that's going to be paid on the 17th. Yeah. You know, I like to be able to see that stuff to see, okay, am I fine? Can I, can I go out and pay for this thing or do I need to wait until next month or, you know, I like to see that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, I, I, I don't think there really is a good solution. I mean, we've been talking about it now the second time we've covered it. We've got lots of emails and we've never really heard from someone saying, oh, this is the best I mean, the, the only time yeah. we've got that from people is when they're talking about online services, which for a lot of people is a non-starter. Although, think about this. I mean, your bank has all your information online. It depends. It depends on, on how available that is. I bank with a very large bank, so and one of the reasons I do that is because I love their online access. There are a lot of people who are very fed up with large banks right now and bank with smaller banks that have limited online yeah. support. Okay, well, we haven't really answered his question, but uh, but thanks, George, for that nice coverage. We'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. And uh, we're always curious to hear what your thoughts are about that category software because I just don't think it's there yet. I'd love to see like a a really a bright developer come in there and just like take it over and just do it right. I hope so. All right, and uh, last for today, David. I, I think it's time that we uh, make an announcement. Yeah, I'm so excited about this, Katie. I can't tell you. Okay, you do it then. The Mac Power Users is joining the Mighty 5x5 Network. Yay! You know, we've been doing this show for a couple of years now, and uh, we've talked about joining networks before, but for one reason or another, it just never happened. Well, we've talked amongst ourselves. We've never talked to the listeners about it before. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But, you know, for one reason or another, it never happened. And then we had this opportunity with 5x5, and I just love everything they do. I'm a big fan of them. I mean, uh, we had Dan on our show right when he started it. Um, and he was a workflow guest and he has been just remarkably successful. He's got these great guests and he just puts out a quality product and I'm just thrilled and honored to join their network. So uh, it's not going to make a lot of change for our current listeners. It just means that our show is going to be hosted through the five by five network and it's hopefully going to expose us to a lot of new listeners who haven't heard of us before. Right. Um, if all goes well with this launch, and we certainly expect it to, um, our iTunes because because one of the thing, benefits about joining the five by five network is for, rather than just being David and I stumbling our way through this, you know, week after week and trying to you know fix things when they go wrong, is is we're now going to have access to a lot of really smart people who know a lot of really great things about web development and and RSS and online publishing, and so I, I have no doubts that this transition will be as smooth as possible. So our iTunes feed will remain the same, our RSS feed will remain the same. My hope is that from the listener's point of view, nothing will change. You will just see, you know, Mac Power users next episode come in your feed um, as it always has. We still plan to keep our regular publishing schedule of the second and the fourth uh, weekend of the month. We'll keep that for now. We we may change that later, but we st- we're still planning on two shows a month on a regular schedule. Um, our website will largely remain the same, although you'll be able to find our content on the 5 by 5 sites as well. Um, our shows will now be hosted and distributed by five by five and they're going to be a little cosmetic changes. Um, for example, uh, David, you're working on some new music. Yes. Okay. Now it's out there. You've said it. I have to make it happen. That's why I said it. So it would happen. Okay. I'm working David, on new music. 
David's working on new music. Um, and we're also working on a, um, a, a, a little five by five eyes version of the Mac power user logo to bring it more in conformity with the five by five brand. Um, we love the the logo that Darren Rolf did for us. So we're going to try to keep it as similar as possible, but just five by five eyes it a little bit. So um, if you, if you like the current Mac power user logo and, and you want, this is probably your last opportunity to get some vintage Mac power user gear. Um, so if you want to do that, you may want to run over to the cafe press store before August. Yes, so uh, it's really great. Uh, we're going to be on the same network with with our friend Merlin, with uh, John Gruber, yeah, John Gruber, um, Dan Benjamin. I mean, he just got some amazing guests over there, and uh, I'm just I'm humbled. I'm just so happy that we're going to be part very of this. Excited. Yeah, so it's exciting for us. I hope it's exciting for you as well. Uh, so our next show will be in the five by five feed. Uh, otherwise, nothing's really going to change. We're still going to continue to put out great content, and if anything. I think it's just more challenging for us to just raise our game even more. Right. And if you do notice any hiccups, please let us know. Um, Shoot us an email, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. There may be a little bit of growing pains. We certainly hope not. But, um, you know, keep an eye on the Twitter feed um, at MacPowerUsers and uh, and our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash MacPowerUsers. Um, where we'll try to keep you advised if, if there are any issues. Yeah, and if for some reason, although I don't think this will happen, the next show doesn't arrive automatically, uh, you may need to head over to 5 by 5 and resubscribe, but that shouldn't happen. No, I don't happen. think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think that so. shouldn't happen. Don't change, don't change anything unless we tell you to. Okay. And and if by chance something does happen, we'll we'll drop a note in this feed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So. Okay, so uh, that's very exciting news, Katie. I, I can't wait. And uh, we've got some interesting guests already lined up, so uh, the show, I think, is just going to get better. I'm I'm thrilled about it. So, David, how can everybody contact well, us? Well, first thing you can do is just go to our website at uh, MacPowerUsers.com or send us feedback with our email at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Or I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MacSparky. We have a Facebook page. It's uh, MacPowerUsers on the Facebook site. And we love iTunes comments. So um, hop over there and boost up those iTunes comments and, and let all, I hope our iTunes comments will come with us to five by five. Yeah. Well, I hadn't thought about that. It's really great. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it's good feedback. It helps us find new listeners and, uh, and we love it. So if not, you guys may have to go make new comments on the new five by five page. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, we'll find but, out, but we just, uh, we really do appreciate that. I know it takes time, but it means a lot to us. So our thanks to our sponsors, Smile, One Password, the Omni Group, and Launch Bar. Without their support, uh, we never would have gotten this far. So we we thank them and we look forward to them joining us as well over on Five by Five. And David, what's next? We're going to have another workflow show, and this is going to be kind of a bookend for the David Wayne show. If you recall, David Wayne was a, a writer, director, uh, producer that is uh, working on motion pictures. This time, we're going with another person in the video field. Uh, who's a little smaller production shop, but he does everything himself. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name is uh, Adam Lissagor. He's also known as Lonely Sandwich. He's done some really funny, great stuff on the internet. He does uh, commercials and things for some of the upcoming uh, websites. Like he did the Square ads. I don't know, remember those Square ads? Mm-hmm. The guy buying the couch? Well, that's Adam. So a uh, really smart guy, longtime Mac geek, uh, and he's going to be a great uh, workflow guest. So we're going to have him on next to talk about all his favorite workflows on his Mac. Okay. Above all else, I just have to say thank you to our listeners. We've been doing Mac Power users, um, gosh, for we we never would have imagined that we would be where we are today. And and getting ready to join the five by five network is is just a tremendous step for us. It's it's a step that we never thought that that we would even be in the same caliber of of being able to take. And and we owe that all to you. And we are so thankful. Amen, sister. Okay. We'll we'll see you guys next time over on five by five. Thank you. <laughs>